Acts chapter 25, please. Acts chapter 25. I'm going to read a lot of Scripture this morning, more than we normally read, but we're in a section in the book of Acts that's very long narratives, and I just don't want to break up in the middle of one, so we're going to read it. One complete story, which will start in Acts chapter 25 and go all the way down through 26, but that'll give us the whole thing. Acts chapter 25, verse 13. If you're visiting with us this morning and you don't have your copy of the Bible with you, we do have pew Bibles in front of you. I encourage you to take one of those. It's the same version I'm reading. Verse 13, after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. When they had been there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a certain man left a prisoner by Felix, about whom the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem, asking for a judgment against him. To them I answered, It is not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction before the accused meets the accusers face to face and has opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charge against him. Therefore, when they had come together without any delay, the next day I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought in. When the accusers stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things as I supposed, but had some questions against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who had died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And because I was uncertain of such questions, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning these matters. But when Paul appealed to be reserved for the decision of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. So the next day, when Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp and had entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city, at Festus' command, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all the men who are here present with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing deserving of death and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him. Therefore, I have brought him out before you and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the examination has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges against him. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise our twelve tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. 
While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests at, at midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand witnessing both the small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer that he would be first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus. But speak the words of truth and reason. For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today, might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. When he had said these things, the king stood up and as well as the governor and Bernice and those who sat with them. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, This man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Father, we thank you so much for your word, and I pray now that as we turn our attention to it, you'll guide us and direct us. Father, God, fill me with your spirit today and help what I say to be exactly what you once said. Fill us all with your spirit that we might hear and respond to the word. I prayed it once before, but I'll pray it again, Lord. I pray today if there are any in this room who need specifically the message that is in this passage, I pray, Father, you'd speak to them. I pray you'd break down all barriers. I pray the Holy Spirit would be powerful today. And if there are those who need to be saved, they'd be saved. If there are Christians who need to make changes in their life, they'd make them. Guide us, Father. We just commit this time to you and we look forward to what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Several weeks ago, we were in Acts chapter 22, and in Acts chapter 22, we saw something very similar to what we see here in this passage this morning. There, as here, Paul was standing before a group of people and defending himself. Uh, he was basically giving his testimony, as you will recall. There, he was standing on a staircase witnessing to the angry mob that had just tried to kill him moments before. Here, he is standing chained between guards, witnessing to governors and kings. 
When we looked at Acts chapter 22, we made mention of how Paul's approach in that case was to just share his personal testimony. As a matter of fact, we see that several times in Acts. That's the time that I'm remembering because we specifically spoke about it back then. And the testimony that he shared in Acts chapter 22 is the exact same testimony that he's sharing here in Acts chapter 25 and Acts chapter 26. We said then when we talked about it that his testimony had three main points. Same three main points that we see right here. I was once lost, then I met the Master, and now I am saved. That was his three points. Remember that? Uh, He could word it a couple of different ways. He looked at his Jewish compatriots back there in Acts chapter 22, and he said, I was just like you. Here in Acts chapter 26, he says the same thing. I once persecuted this way. I was just like this. I I was a Pharisee. I was just like them. Uh, But basically what he's saying is I was lost. And then he said, I met Jesus. In both cases, he talks about how he was riding along the Damascus Road, and he saw a great light, and it knocked him off the horse. And Jesus spoke to him. And he said, I met Jesus. And then he said, Jesus changed my life. I've never been the same. We learned in that earlier message in Acts chapter 22 that all believers have a similar testimony. If you're saved today, that's your testimony. It might have certain differences in in detail. I'm sure that's going to vary from Christian to Christian. I don't think there's anybody in this room, and if there is, I'd love to hear, but I don't think there's anybody in this room who is actually knocked off of a horse and blinded by the light on the Damascus Road. Was there anybody who that is your exact testimony this morning? I, I didn't think so. But all of us, if we have a testimony at all, have that same testimony. I was once lost, then I met Jesus, and now I am saved. That is the testimony of every believer. And if any one part of that is missing from what you think is your testimony, then I submit to you this morning, you really need to look at it long and hard. Because none of those parts can be left out. I was once lost. Then I met Jesus. And now I am saved. I think sometimes we forget that last part. That last part that talks about, you know, something has changed in my life. I think sometimes we don't emphasize that enough. Uh, Brother Don this morning, I think it was Brother Don in our... Jim's Sunday School class, mentioned the fact that uh, we'd gone to the Booth Brothers concert the other night. And he mentioned the very same thing that touched my heart so much about that Booth Brothers concert. In that concert, if you were with us, it's the first time I, I, that I can remember. And maybe may, I might be able to think of a couple of other, of other examples. But for the most part, you go to a gospel concert and you get entertained. For the most part, you go to a gospel concert and the musicians just stand up and they sing. And it's a great time. It's fun. But at the Booth Brothers concert, at the end, they held up the Bible. At the end, he gave a gospel presentation, and at the end, he talked about how important it was that people get saved, and I I thought, how amazing that is. But one of the things he said in that particular presentation, I'm going to steal, and I'm going to use many, many times, because it was really a very good illustration. He was talking about this very thing, how when you get saved, how when you come to the place where you recognize you're you're lost, and you, and you, you, you meet Jesus, and you get saved, a change takes place in your life. He was talking about that part, and he said, I want to give you an example. He said, I want you to think about the fact that you all came to this concert tonight and you came to hear the Booth Brothers sing. He said, I want you to imagine that you came to this concert and the Booth Brothers weren't here. They hadn't showed up yet. Do you remember this this illustration? I love this illustration. He said, I want you to imagine that you're sitting there getting impatient and 20, 30 minutes go by and then finally the Booth Brothers come in. And we stand up and we say to you, we're so sorry that we're late today, but we got hit by a Mack truck on the way in here. And not only did we get hit by a Mack truck, but it drug us 200 yards down the road. So we'd have been here on time if it wasn't for that. And he said... He said, you would have looked at me, and he said, you would have looked at us, and your eyes would have no doubt flickered all over our nice, perfectly pressed clothes and our shined shoes, and you would have thought to yourself, wait a minute, if a Mack truck hit a human being, there would be some evidence, would there not? Perhaps maybe just a little tear in your suit. Perhaps your shoes would be scuffed. 
I'm embellishing his story a little bit. He didn't go nearly into this amount of detail. But nonetheless, that's what he was saying. There'd be a change, right? And he said, and I thought this was great. He said, if you're going to say to me that the God of the universe, who is larger than all, greater than all, has come and taken up residence in your heart, you're going to tell me that there is no evidence of that whatsoever. He said, I find that unbelievable. And so do I. Paul's testimony was, I was just like you. Then I met Jesus, and it changed my life. All of us have that same testimony. That's what we learned in the last message. This is a repeat. This is, this is a rerun, just so that you get, get it in your head again. We learned that last time. We learned also in that last message that that testimony is powerful. Do you remember the text? Acts chapter 22 and verse 22, we talked about the fact that they listened to him. Remember that? Acts 22, verse 22, he gave his testimony and it says, they listened to him. And we talked about the fact that your testimony is powerful. Not too many people want to come into Friendship Bible Church and listen to the preaching, but they'll listen to you. There's an awful lot of family members and friends and neighbors who would never darken the door of a church, but they'll listen to you when you say to them, this is what happened to me. And so testimony is powerful. I was lost. I met Jesus. And now I'm changed. Well, that was what Paul talked about back there. And we see it several times. We see him using this exact same thing. And it's exactly what we see here again in chapter 25 and chapter 26. You see, Paul knew this was powerful. Paul knew that testimony was something that would reach people. He knew that what would work for this group of angry Jewish people on the steps there in Acts chapter 22 would also work with governors and kings. What had been true for a mob in that chapter was also true for the rich and powerful and elite assembled before him. Kings need the same gospel that everybody else needs. And so we could talk this morning. We could spend the whole time talking once again about the importance of Paul's testimony and what he said. But since we have already touched on that, I'm going to drop it there. I don't want to go any further with it. You can read it on your own. You can study it on your own. You can compare this to the time he did it in, in chapter 22. It's a good study. But what I believe the Lord would have us to spend the rest of our time on this morning is not what he said, but what other people react, how other people reacted. There are three different individuals in this passage of Scripture. Uh, there's a lot more than that. There was a whole mob here, a whole entourage that came in with uh, Agrippa and Bernice. I like it. it. says they came in with great pomp. You can just imagine the procession as they came in. They had all their entourage with them. So there wasn't just those that were there. There were many there. But the three that are mentioned that I want us to think about here today are Festus, Bernice, and Agrippa. And I want you to think about how they responded to what Jesus had to say. Because as we look at how they responded, I think we'll see ourselves in just about all of them. Uh, Three different responses to the gospel that Paul presented. Number one, let's think about Festus. Festus. We remember Festus was a governor. We spent a lot of time last time talking about Festus, and we, we, we spent a lot of time building a case that Festus was probably not too bad of a governor. Uh, he succeeded Felix, who was a disgusting governor, and so it wasn't too hard for him to be better. But it seems like the Bible, the Bible tries to make the case that Festus was, was a pretty good governor. It, it, it speaks of his justice. It speaks of his efficiency. It speaks of how good he was at, at dealing with Paul and trying to deal with this case with great dispatch and seriousness. In all things, the account of Festus seems to be favorable, and it seems to paint him in a good light. 
And so we kind of came away thinking, at least I, I hope we did, because it was a case I was trying to make. We kind of way, came away thinking that as, at least as politicians go, Festus was probably a pretty decent one. He was probably a pretty decent fellow, maybe even a good man. We might even go so far as to say Festus was, for a politician at least, a good man. But here's the interesting thing. Being a good man does not equate to being a saved man, does it? And the interesting thing here is we have absolute evidence in this passage that we've read here today that whatever he was, however good he might have been, he was not saved. However good he might have been, he was a lost man. For example, look with me at chapter 25 and verse number 19 and notice what we see there. He's describing the case to Agrippa. He's talking about Paul and the case. And he says, but has, uh, let's start in verse number 18. He said, when the accusers stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things as I suppose, but had some questions against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who had died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. Agrippa believed Jesus was just another dead guy. Paul believed he was alive. Agrippa did not. Do you know the Bible tells me we've got to believe Jesus is alive if we want to be saved? Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not enough to just believe that Jesus lived. It's not enough to just believe Jesus was a good teacher. We must believe what the Bible says about him. He's the Son of God. He came and lived a perfect life, died on the cross of Calvary and was raised on the third day. Agrippa didn't believe that. He was lost. And, or not, not a grip, I'm sorry. Festus didn't believe that. He was lost. And, and, and interestingly, his response then to Paul's uh, testimony kind of demonstrates that. What was his response? It's in verse number 24 of chapter 26. Now, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. What was his response to the gospel? He thought Paul was nuts. He thought he was out of his mind. I would like to paraphrase for you a little bit of what he might have been saying to Paul right there. He might have been saying something like, Paul, you are a couple bricks shy of a load. He might have been saying something like, Paul, you know, you're just a couple cards shy of a full deck. He might have been saying, Paul, your elevator does not go all the way to the top. Or, Paul, you have bats in your belfry. Or, Paul, you've lost some of the cheese out of your sandwich. He might have been saying anything like that. He might have said, Paul, you know, I'm looking in your eyes, and I can see that the lights are on, but nobody is home. He thought he was nuts. Do you see that? That is not the response of someone who is accepting the gospel. His reaction to the gospel was ridicule. Have you ever shared your faith with somebody? And had him respond like that. You're out of your head. You're crazy. You're delusional. Personally, I don't have too many people actually say that, but I think what you more often see is, is not that they say it in words, but you can see it in their eyes. You can see them looking at you like, and you can just read their eyes, and they're just, you poor pitiful soul. That's what they're saying. How could you possibly believe that? Ridicule. Ridicule. It's a very common response. Perhaps this morning, it might even be your response. Maybe this morning you're here and you're thinking, you know, how could anybody believe Jesus is alive? How could anybody believe this gospel stuff? Nonsense. How could you believe it? Well, I would point out to you today, even though it's a common response, even though Festus might have been a good man and he might have thought that was helping him out, being good does you no good. And if you die that way, 
If Festus died that way and never changed his tune, if he never came to understand his need for the Savior, he ridiculed here. Festus died lost, and he's in hell today. Second person I want to talk to you about this morning is Bernice. Bernice. Now, we can't go too far with Bernice because the Holy Spirit doesn't really give us a whole lot here. Did you notice that? It just kind of mentions there. It doesn't really tell us much. We have some information that's available to us from outside the Bible, but we don't have a lot that's available to us within the pages of the Bible, so we have to be careful. You can't build doctrine on things outside the Bible. This is what we build doctrine on, this and nothing else. And so we have to be careful. But I do think we can make some interesting application here. There are some things we know about her that as long as we're, uh, we don't go too far with it, I think we can, we can be helpful. One source I consulted says of Bernice that she had been married twice before she moved in with her brother. Bernice and King Agrippa were brother and sister. They were apparently living in an incestuous relationship. And later on, she was to become the mistress of a couple of Roman emperors, so Bernice was not a very nice girl. Bernice was an example of a worldly, wicked person. And again, without going too far with it, I think perhaps an application that we would make would be this. Sometimes a person can become so blinded by sin that the gospel has a hard time getting through. Not an impossible time, but a hard time. Dr. Tom Malone, my pastor in, New, or in uh, Michigan, used to preach a sermon, and I think I probably have a copy of it somewhere. His sermon was called How to Get a Hard Case Saved. And one of the things that I remember he used to talk about in that sermon was there's no such thing as a hard case. No such thing as a hard case. No matter who you are, no matter what your situation, if you will turn to Christ, you can be saved. God can save you if you will allow him. But with that caveat in place, it is true, is it not, that the more dirt you throw on a fire, the less flame there is. Isn't that true? Our culture gets more sinful by the day. And the more we immerse ourselves in it, the more we allow ourselves to be bombarded by the filth that comes over the airwaves every single minute. And all of us are just filled with it and immersed in it anymore in our homes. The more it's there, the more it drowns out the gospel. And the less we're able to hear the good news. Yesterday I was talking with Sister Joyce as we were at the Haven of Rest together. And we were talking about an art, uh, I think it's in the news right now. It's, uh, perhaps you've heard about this story. Uh, uh, a college kid from Brigham Young University, I think it was, uh, was expelled from school uh, for engaging in premarital sex. She and I were talking about that. And she said, you know, the interesting thing, the disgusting thing about that is how everybody has roared up as if it's a terrible thing that the school would have done that. And they've all taken the side. And, 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 you know, we commiserated about that for a minute. But then she said, and I thought it was so true, she said, the worst part is the number of Christians and the number of churches they are taking the side and saying, how could they possibly have done this? How have we fallen so far in America today that that which is clearly described as sin in the Bible, we defend as Christians? How have we got there? I'll tell you how we've got there. We've immersed ourselves in it so much We've allowed it into our minds so much that it's drowning out everything else. The more dirt we throw on a fire, the less flame remains. I don't know. Maybe that's the lesson of Bernice. And it's a, it's a blatant application. I can't prove it for sure because we just don't know about her. Uh, her response is interesting, don't you think? 
Did you see her response there in the passage? Look at it there. You see her response there? I mean, it's, it's got to be there somewhere. She heard the gospel. There has to be a response somewhere. Let's see, in uh, Acts chapter 25 and verse 23, we see the next day when Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp and had entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city at Festus Command, Paul was brought in. So there she is. She comes in. we got all this that we just read about Paul preaching and all of his eloquent presentation of his testimony. And somewhere there's got to be a response here, isn't there, from uh, Bernice? There's got to be something. Where do we next see Bernice? We see her. Let's see. It's down in... In uh, chapter 26 and verse 30, when he had said these things, the king stood up as well as the governor and Bernice. That's it. That's all we have of her. She came in. She sat down. Unless she had, maybe she had an iPod. I don't know. She had an ear, earbuds in. I don't know. But unless something like that was going on, she had to have heard it, right? And the next thing we read about her, she got up and walked out. Where's the response? There is no response. There is no response. She was completely and totally apathetic, apparently, to what she heard. It made no effect on her whatsoever. You know, if you have not yet listened to the gospel, and if you find yourself so blinded and deafened by the sin of this world and the sin of your own lifestyle choices, uh, you may be like Bernice. You may be at this point in your life where it's just not getting through. It's never too late. But if that's your state, it's stinking close. It's mighty close. You need to wake up. You need to listen. You need to hear it. You need to know how, how near the time is. Don't just get up and walk out like Bernice did with no effect whatsoever. She got up, she walked out unchanged, unsaved, lost. Number three, the last one I'll mention to you, and the one that's the most important, I think, in this passage is Agrippa. Agrippa, let's think of the response of Agrippa. And notice again, chapter 26, let's start reading in verse 27. Paul said, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am except for these change. And when he had said these things, the king stood up. Agrippa. Now, some of you are probably looking at the Bible that you've got on your lap there, and you're a little bit puzzled by what I just read there, because the Bible you have on your lap may say something somewhat different. Whereas the King James Version says, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And the New King James that I just read for says, uh, from says, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. Some translations, such as the NIV, take a completely different approach to this. And they all have something like this. Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? In other words, one particular way of looking at this has Agrippa close. Has Agrippa saying, I'm almost persuaded. Another way of looking at this has Agrippa almost like Festus ridiculing and saying, you really think you're going to convince me of this in such a short time? Two different ways of looking at it. And the reason for the disparity is that there, it's, a, it's a difficult passage. And Bible scholars have genuine disagreement among themselves as to which is the right way to interpret this particular. I'll always be a King James man, and so I come down on the side of the King James. I always will. I think that what he's saying here is almost Thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Paul's pressing home of the attack in the next verse seems to favor that. And, and as I studied that and as I looked at various commentaries, that seemed to come through even on the side of the people who believed in the other interpretation. That seemed to come through that, uh, you know, Paul would not have pressed home the attack the way he did if he didn't smell blood, if he didn't think he was close, if he didn't think Agrippa was right there, just ready to go over the edge. He did. I, I just love this picture of Paul. I, mean, I, I, I want you to think about him here. So look, look, look at him. Can you see him there? 
He's got chains around his wrist. He's got his arms outstretched. He's got guards on either side of him. And he's looking at Agrippa and he's saying, I would to God that you were not just almost Agrippa, but altogether like me. I don't know if there is a greater picture of a soul winner in the Bible than Paul as he stands there like that. Think about him. Think about him. He is supposed to be on trial for his life. But he wastes no words on that. Not a one. All, he can, all he's concerned about in that whole room is King Agrippa's soul, Festus's soul, Bernice's soul, the souls of all those around him. That's what he's worried about. And he stands there and he says, I would to God that you would not stop with almost Agrippa. We see his heart there, don't we? We see it in the anguished cry of verse 29. We, we see it in the invitation of verse 27. Did you notice that? We kind of skipped by it, but look at it. He said, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. That's the same invitation we give most days. Do you believe? You have to believe. That's the key. You have to believe. Do you believe? I like how one pastor described Paul's invitation here. He said that particular invitation in that particular verse is a wonderful example of what he calls the presumptive close. Do we have any salesmen in the room here this morning that could uh, uh, relate, relate to the presumptive close? Let me tell you how he describes that. Pretty good. He says, uh, this is known as the presumptive close. He says, you know, you show somebody the various colors that they can buy a set of towels in. They have all these lovely shades of color. And the presumptive close, you would say, now let's see, which color did you want to order? Uh, you don't say, do you want to buy some towels? You say, now, which color did you want? It's presum- You're presuming they're going to buy. And you proceed forward. That's what Paul's doing here. It's another evidence, is it not, that he really believed that, that, that Agrippa was close. He was close. He was pushing for a decision. He was drawing the net. I learned some years ago, by the way, the power of the presumptive close. My wife and I used to have great Dane dogs. I've told you that, haven't I? We used to have great Dane dogs. We've had a couple of them. We, sometime after we got rid of our second great Dane, took a, uh, an oath in blood that we were never going to have another great Dane. That the great Dane era had come to a, to a close. Never again. Nothing is going to convince us to ever have another great Dane. We have a little basset hound right now that is in the very last days of her life. She's blind and she's deaf and she's incontinent and she's driving us crazy. And, and, but we love her. And, but we've also taken a, an oath in blood that that's it. This is it. We're not having any more dogs after this dog. Well, some years ago, after we had taken the oath in blood that we would never have another Great Dane, we saw an ad in the paper that said Great Dane puppies for sale. We read it to each other in the living room and we said, remember our oath in blood? Nothing doing. We kept reading it. And finally we decided, well, what could it possibly hurt? We'll just go look. You know? They're, they're, they're fun little fuzzy things. We'll just go hold them and it'll be like nostalgic, you know? Nothing cuter in the world than a Great Dane puppy. So, we, okay, fine. Remember our oath in blood, we're not buying nothing. And off we went. We went to this person's house and we rolled around on the floor with these Great Dane puppies. They're beautiful. They're wonderful little fuzzy things. Beth looked at the owner and she said, How come they all have a different colored collar on? And the lady said, well, that's because when you pick the one you want, I'll give you a matching collar, and then when you come back, when the puppies are ready, well, you'll know which one is yours. And then she said, the presumptive clothes, then she said, which color would you like? (laughs) And to my astonishment, 
She picked one. That's what Paul was doing here. He was pulling out all the stops, trying to persuade Agrippa to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And I think based on Agrippa's response in verse number 28 and the fact that Paul doesn't back off, I think Paul, I think Agrippa was right there. I think he was so close. I think Agrippa's an example of, you know, I heard a, heard a message one time about Judas and it was called the man who kissed the door to heaven because J- Judas kissed Jesus and Jesus said, I'm the door. It called the man who kissed the door to heaven and went to hell. And I think it, the whole point was you can get that close. I think that was Agrippa. Almost. Almost. Thou persuadest me. And so I, I believe in that particular interpretation. But the fact is it doesn't matter whether you believe that one or the other. It doesn't matter. You can believe based on uh, whichever translation you're holding in your hands that Agrippa was close and he was about to be saved. You can believe that he was ridiculing it and he was as far away from it as could be. And he was saying, Paul, you're nuts. You're not going to convince me that easy. Either way, it doesn't matter because here's the key to the verse. The key to the verse is the word persuaded. Actually not persuaded. Whichever interpretation you lean toward, whichever you think the evidence supports, the fact is, the key thought is, After hearing it all, Agrippa was not persuaded. And if you, no matter how close you come to trusting Christ, are not persuaded, if you come this close and kiss the Lord of Heaven and turn your back, you, like Agrippa, will die lost. We've all heard the old saying, that close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. Heard that saying? Almost is the same way. Almost doesn't count when it comes to your soul. Hymn writer P.P. Bliss was listening to a preacher one time, a a message one time, and uh, at the end of this message, the sermon ended with these words, quote, He who is almost persuaded is almost saved, and to be almost saved is to be entirely lost. And P.P. Bliss was so taken by that, he went and he, he, he wrote a, invitation here that I was hoping we'd sing this one, but I can't find it in our hymn book. So I think it was in our old one. It's not in this one. Almost persuaded. Remember that one? Now to believe. Almost persuaded. Christ to receive. Seems now some soul to say, Go, Spirit, go thy way. Some more convenient day. On thee I'll call. Almost persuaded. Harvest is past. Almost persuaded. Doom comes at last. Almost cannot avail. Almost is but to fail. Sad, sad, that bitter wail. Almost, but lost. Well, three responses. Saul gave, or Paul gave his testimony just as he did in chapter 22. And just as in chapter 22, people heard it. All these listened to him. Festus, Bernice, Agrippa, they were all there. They had to have heard it. And they all responded in a certain way. Festus responded with ridicule. Bernice displayed apathy and rock hardness. Agrippa, I think perhaps under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, at the last second closed the door and walked away. All of them. If Festus died with that same response on his heart, we will not see Festus in heaven, for he died lost. If Bernice was never able to come to a place in her life where she could turn from her sin and turn to the Savior, we won't see her either. And if King Agrippa, no matter how close he got, if King Agrippa, if he stayed there, if he remained almost persuaded. Well, then he split hell wide open. And that's where he is today. And those are all common responses, aren't they? Most 
people respond to the gospel that way. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, he said, Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Many there be which go in thereat. That's the majority that respond like those three. But there is a fourth response. And it's not mentioned here. It's the one that Paul was hoping for. It's the one he was pleading for. And that response is acceptance. Acceptance. And if you're hearing this message today, you need to know this. It's the only right one. And it's the only one that will get you to heaven. John chapter 1, verse 12 said, As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. John 5, 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. It's the only response. The only response that will save your soul. And so which is yours today? Which is yours? If you are a Festus or an Agrippa or a Bernice, I wish I had Paul's eloquence. I wish I could stand up here and shake my arms to you. I wish I could say with the same pathos he must have said, I would to God. I would to God. That you would accept that gift today. That you would not, like Agrippa, stop at almost. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Bless it to our hearts today. Lord, I thank you for this wonderful, wonderful, towering example we have from the Apostle Paul. Lord, we've been talking about him for so long now. This is the 53rd message we have looked at in the book of Acts. Father, we have talked about him and seen him in every way, good and bad. Lord, I'm not sure that we've ever seen him tower higher than he does here. Lord, may we be like him. May we learn from him. Help us to be that kind of a soul winner. I pray, Father, for the Christians here today that we'll take that away from this, that we'll be challenged by his heart, challenged by what he demonstrates for us here, by his not even caring about himself, only caring about the souls of those in the room. Oh, Father, convict our hearts to be such soul winners. But, Father, the message here is, is really more for those who are the Agrippas and the Festuses and the Bernices in the room. Lord, is there even one here today who is wondering and is struggling? Is there even one here today who's just not certain what this Christianity is all about? Is there even one here today who, when they look at their life, say, I, I, I don't have that testimony that Paul did. I can't say that there was a time I knew I was lost and then I trusted Christ and now I know I'm saved. They, they don't know that. Lord, I pray today they would not be like Bernice and just get up and walk out of this room. I pray today they would not be like Festus and sneer at it and ridicule at it and think it's a joke. I pray they would not be today like Agrippa. And right now as the Holy Spirit pours it on in conviction in their heart, I pray they would not say, so close, but then walk away. Father, only you can save souls, and I pray you would today. I know not the needs of these your people, but I plead for them. Save people today, we pray. Help Christians today. Do something good and great and mighty today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.